Hello and welcome to the Book of Leaves podcast. My name is Cara and I am your host. afternoon or evening. Hi and welcome to episode 45 of Book of Leaves. This is an Irish podcast where I interview people who are doing something good for the planet in any way and we learn a bit about why they're doing it, how they're doing it and the idea is we take a leaf from their book to add to our own way of living. So welcome to Book of Leaves. Mm, It is so lovely to have you here. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. And if you are new, hi, nice to meet you. I am Cara and I am the host of this show. I am an expert in nothing. I am just very passionate about the environment and climate activism. So I set up this show as a way to find out more. And I'm just so grateful to all the people that I've met through this. It's been amazing. So hopefully you'll find that you get something out of this podcast as well. Um, Yeah, it's just nice to have you here. So before we get into this episode about hedgehogs with Elaine O'Reardon. Oh my God, actually, lads, I'm watching a little blue tit bird out my window right now, just eating bugs off the yew tree in the garden. Oh my God. So I just, I hope you're all getting to enjoy a little bit of nature and spring. Oh, he's flown away now. Bye. But uh, yeah, I hope you guys are getting little bits of nature into your daily routine and that you are doing as well as can be. Obviously, it's a really difficult time with what's going on pandemic wise and that's really tough. But also in um, Palestine and Israel, there is really, really horrible um, scenes of ethnic cleansing going on and I just want to take a moment to send my thoughts to them and to remind you guys to converse with the people in your circles about what's happening because um, this is where I really love social media because what the news out- news outlets don't tell you people on my social media have been so make sure you're just following a diverse range of people and hearing you know hearing people's stories and spreading awareness of what's going on and sending solidarity to the people of Palestine um and before I get into introducing Elaine I need to correct something from last week's episode so embarrassing scarlet for myself so basically guys in last week's episode if you listen to it with Zach I Love talking to Zach so much, right? And we were talking about civil disobedience and there is a point towards the end of the podcast, 64 minutes in, Zach says, there's a study that Erica did, which I have linked on the website in in Zach's episode page, that civil resistance movements, you don't need a lot of people to achieve change, to have positive results. So if you have between 0.015% of the population and between between that and 0.06% of the population, you have a 24% success rate in achieving what you want to achieve. I had a calculator. I was using the calculator on my phone in the middle of the episode and neither myself or Zach did not pick up the massive error in that 0.015% of the population of Ireland, which is 4.9 million people, is not 70 whatever thousand. (laughs) It's 735 people. I can't get over that. And 0.06% of the population, 0.06, how did I not pick this up, is not 200 and something thousand people. Absolutely not. It's it's like two and a half, 2,900 or something like that. But, you know, less than 3,000 people, right? So that is a big correction. I've went back and corrected it in the episode. Oh, someone's calling me now. Oh, she'll just have to wait now. But I went back and corrected the episode. So people listening to it now won't have that. But I just wanted to let you guys know. And just how amazing is that? That if we just have 735 people actively engaging in civil disobedience. I mean, that's so achievable. That's so just... Oh, so, you know, get out there, get active and join some civil resistance groups. Now, into this episode, let's talk about little cute hedgehogs. 
friends. Um, and yes, for anyone listening who isn't aware, who I don't know, they because I've got listeners all across the world now, which is really cool, and some new listeners in Paraguay. Hi. Um, so we have hedgehogs in Ireland. I don't know what you call them in in languages around the world, but they're just so adorable, prickly little, cute little faces, and I just love them. I'm so intrigued by them. I've never seen a live wild hedgehog in my life. Um, so yeah, that is something that maybe one day that will happen to me. But Elaine O'Reardon is studying, is uh, working in Galway and she set up the Irish Hedgehog Survey. So wherever you are in Ireland and if you're listening abroad, check out your national biodiversity website if you have one and get active in participating in surveys of everything, of butterflies, of birds, of hedgehogs, of fish, whatever's in your area. There is probably a company or people or research students somewhere wanting data about that. So check out irishhedgehogsurvey.com and you can input where you've seen them and as Elaine will go on to say equally as important where you haven't seen them because it's important to know where they live as well as where they don't and I want to say as well before we get into talking about Elaine's journey and hedgehogs please make your friends and family aware as well your neighbours that if they are strimming or using a lawnmower to please, please, please check long grass before you cut it. There are hedgehog and wildlife um, sanctuaries in Ireland at the moment that are actually inundated with hedgehogs with that have horrific injuries from strimmers. Really ask your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles and your family and friends if you, if you see them or you know that they have a garden that they do like kind of maybe like grow and then trim it all down to really 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 please check long grass because they don't dig underground they're not always out of sight they live much closer to us than we think so that's my plea now (laughs) let's get into this episode with Elaine let's talk about hedgehogs and oh I just I love it so much so hopefully you guys will enjoy this and don't forget to please if you like what you're hearing Please support this podcast on Patreon um, or buy me a coffee or um, you can support through the ACAST podcast network um, once off with once off contributions. It is so greatly, greatly appreciated. And yes, thank you so much for listening. Please recommend it to a friend. Please rate it and review it and do all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I will see you at the end of the episode for some very quick and brief show notes. All right. Enjoy. Hey Elaine, thank you so much for joining me here today on the Book of Leaves podcast. You are very welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> I know that you're back in your office today after almost a year of being in there. It's like a little time capsule. How does it feel? Yeah, it's kind of weird and wonderful. I've been dipping in. I've been in, you know, a handful of times over the last year, but uh, yeah, it's it's strange to be to be coming in. <laughs> Yeah, but I know you've got so much work ahead of you and we're in gonna go all into detail about what it is um that's about. But just to start off with for listeners to get to know you a little bit, can you share a bit about where you're from or where you grew up and how you got into doing what you do? Okay, um I am from Cork originally, so a little place called uh, Crosshaven, which is right there at the mouth of Cork Harbour. And I suppose I've always been interested in nature and and wildlife and uh, I was always you know I loved studying biology in school and when I went to college I actually ended up studying marine science and uh, I really I really like that and you know it was really really interesting I love the sea because I come from near the sea and then uh, I worked for a couple of years actually with a company kind of doing insourcing inshore sort of survey work um which didn't have anything to do really with animals and stuff but uh it was more kind of you know seashore sea kind of surveys for for construction projects and stuff like that but 
I found that sometimes when I was sitting on a boat for hours and hours and hours, like measuring water flows, I was kind of more interested in things like the otters and the foxes and the birds and stuff I could see on the on the shore. So I went back and I uh, I did a master's in nature conservation. So um, yeah, that gave me a much more broader, I suppose, feel for habitats and and flora and fauna and and conservation um, than just the the marine side of things. So well, I always have a soft spot for marine issues and and the coast and the yeah, seashore yeah. um actually i've ended up <laughs> probably doing more work on non-terrestrial stuff in the end of the day really so um so that was fabulous and then i am um, i worked for several years as pretty much kind of the biodiversity officer for county galway so that was on a project with galway county council and uh, nui galway and then a few years ago then i uh, i started working in the zoology department in NUIG, so I'm a technician here and uh, I work uh, term time. So my work is basically supporting fourth year students doing their, their final year projects. So I work with them to develop a project and do the field work and write it up. And that's where we are now this week. They're handing in next wow. week. <laughs> so I have... God, so you, are you like the person who receives all their stress as well? Like, you know, it's hard enough no. to do yourself. I, I think I <laughs> get more stress because I'm the all. one that's like, do you know you're handing up? Send me something. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I look, you get a mixture. So that's lovely though, because I get a range of projects, everything from I have seashore projects, I have projects on insects, I have projects on, you know, bats and, and mice and... That's so cool. I get to do, I get to kind of live vicariously through the students. But um, uh, just a couple of years ago, then I decided, you know, I would like to do some research of my own. I always had it in my head, always that I would love to do a PhD, but I was, I never kind of got the timing right or found something that I was interested in enough to commit that kind of time and energy to it. But uh, gradually over a couple of years, I thought, you know what, I'd love to do something on hedgehogs. And then a few things came together once, like, you know, there's been a lot about hedgehogs lately coming, especially from England. They've been put on the red list there as as, uh, as threatened. So, um, and then kind of realizing here that, okay, we don't really have enough information here about hedgehogs. So it just kind of fell into place. And as I said, I work term time here. So I have my summer is now as well. So that's, yeah. So I'm doing a part-time PhD now in hedgehogs and uh, that's where we're at. The first year hasn't gone entirely to plan because of COVID. <laughs> Gosh, when did you, was it September just gone, 2020? or when No, September, September 2019. Holy God. Yeah. 2020 was meant to be my year when I was going to really kickstart everything and you know, but yeah, obviously there was there wasn't a lot of uh, kind of survey work and stuff done. Really, now I had a citizen science survey, which was great. I had a fabulous response to. But uh, I'm going. I'm kind of hoping that this year now we might be able to get some physical survey work done. You know, see yeah. see some hedgehogs. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, that would be amazing. So, what was it about hedgehogs? Do you remember? I don't know. Do you even remember the first time that you saw a hedgehog for the first time in real life? I do actually, yeah. Uh, I think you know, well, I was in my twenties, well into my twenties. I think the first time I saw a, a hedgehog in the wild, yeah, I mean, in real life, yeah. I uh, was out with a friend of mine. We were surveying bats, and we could hear this snuffly sort of noise one night. We were out in, in the woods around this lovely old house out in um, Loch Ray there, and we could hear this noise, and we're kind of like, "What is that?" How I looked, and there's a little hedgehog like snuffling around in the grass. And uh, he was just fabulous. I thought he was just, um, he was just gorgeous. But he, uh, yeah, that was the first time I saw one. But I can remember once when we were small, <laughs> we, were at, we were at my cousin's house for a couple of nights. And uh, my mom and my aunt came in the next day and said, there was a hedgehog outside last night, you know. And we were like, oh, that's amazing. So the next night they put out, like, as you did at the time, bread and milk. Anyway. <laughs> And they wanted to, so we went out the next morning to see if the hedgehog had eaten the bread and milk. And they had eaten it, but then they had peed in the bowl. The hedgehog peed in the bowl that the milk had been in. And I don't know if you've ever smelt a hedgehog or hedgehog wee, but it's... I, I, I have it <laughs> It's horrendous, horrendous stuff. <laughs> so, uh, so, oh my God, I can still to this day, even the thought of it brings tears to my eyes. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I was fascinated that something so gorgeous could do something so awful. <laughs> so I think that's one of the things I like about them, you know, 
they're gorgeous, but they're just weird and awful in, in other ways, which I find yeah. funny. <laughs> you, forget you forget they're really prickly as well, like, but they've got the cutest faces as well. Um, so you started up this, doing this PhD on hedgehogs. Now, and you mentioned there that um, obviously they're a part of the Irish ecosystem, but unfortunately I know they're kind of endangered in the UK. So like what kind of, do we have more than, is there more than one species that we have in Ireland or or is it just one? No, um, just one. Other, just the one. The one, okay. yeah, with um, the Western European hedgehog. So uh, it's been here since around the 12th century, I think. They, they're they not 100% sure. It was introduced anyway, probably by the Normans is, is what the thinking oh. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause, so it will be considered naturalized, anything that is here. The 1500s, I think, is, is a naturalized fauna, whereas, you know, anything that's here since the Ice Age is native fauna. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. it, it, um, it's it's interesting enough. They It was probably introduced, they reckon, down around, the first record of it is down around Waterford, I think. Um, there's been one PhD done on hedgehogs in Ireland by a woman called Amy Hay. She did it in uh, UCC in around 2014. But she um, she did some genetic testing of, of samples uh, of hedgehogs that she found and it, the indications would be that they came from a, a small population like a very small population of, of introduced hedgehogs because there wouldn't be as much variation among the irish hedgehogs as there would be among hedgehogs in the uk or france or stuff so right. it's likely they came from from england or, or france so maybe down the line it might be nice to investigate that yeah i just i would have thought they were here all the time yeah no definitely so now that they're here and they've been here for so long um, I mean, you hear sometimes of invasive species, which I know these guys now aren't, they're naturalised. So um, how do they, I presume they still assist the, the ecosystem, you know, what, do they have kind of a role within our ecosystems here? What would that be? Yeah, they don't, um, they tend to just get on with their with their business. They would eat insects and things like worms and, and slugs and snails and other invertebrates mostly. So they don't tend to make too much of a nuisance of themselves you know and and actually people quite like them because they think oh great they'll you know they'll eat all the slugs and snails in my gardens and stuff like that so they're they're seen very positively that way in terms of kind of competition the all wild animals they'd be would be in competition with would be something like the badger because they'd have similar diets but the, they don't tend to coexist very much in the same spaces because the badger will actually prey on on hedgehogs if uh, if the densities if the numbers get too high you know uh, but then the the only place where I have kind of heard they do make a nuisance of themselves then is sometimes where you have ground nesting birds down around, particularly like in the East Coast there, where there would be um, very important colonies of, of nesting birds on the shores and stuff there. That uh, it hasn't been much investigated, but it has been said that they do take eggs. So again, that might be something I think I would like to investigate more kind of as a naturalized species. How does the hedgehog interact with animals, you know, in terms of a competitor or a predator or a prey species? So I think that's something I'd like to to investigate down the line, you know? Yeah, definitely. And do they are they um, oh, I can't remember what the word is. Uh, oh, what is it when they don't they're not part of like a pack? I don't know. What's a group of hedgehogs called? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the first question. A prickle of hedgehogs? I don't know what a group of hedgehogs... They don't know. They don't, they don't come together in herds or flocks or gatherings. They, they don't. They're solitary. Solitary. That's the word. Oh, yay. We got there together. Okay. Yeah, no, they will, be, they will be solitary animals. So they would live... Um, they would... Um, well, they don't kind of pair up and mate and stay together as a family unit, if you know what I mean. Like, they come together, they mate, and then the males buzz off and the females rear the young. So you might see a mother and, you know, her hoglets. Uh, so until they're about kind of six weeks old. So they they do tend to um, they do tend to be on their own. But quite often, particularly in sort of urban or suburban areas where they're coming into gardens and stuff, they will hang around in pairs. Like people will often tell me, oh, I have two hedgehogs and they come together every night and into the garden and stuff. So um, and people will, you know, I've even heard of hedgehogs pairing up and, and snuggling up and sharing a nest together or even sharing a hibernation space together i think now look at i couldn't say with the, with scientific certainty but i think that tends to be a little bit more kind of in urban areas than maybe if out in the wild and rural areas yeah when they have the space yeah. when there's plenty of resources there people are feeding them and stuff like that there's no competition 
they're not territorial, like they don't maintain territories and keep other hedgehogs out. A lot of the time as well, it kind of comes down to personality. I've done, I've helped out a little bit now at, at, a, at a hedgehog rescue centre. And you, you see from spending any little time with them that they very much have their own personalities. And some of them are much more docile and easier to get on with. Um, and others are just ferocious, you know, and they they will they will always try to bite you every time you come in the room, you know. So I think sometimes as well, whether hedgehogs will hang around together in pairs depends a lot on the individual hedgehogs. And uh, and so some of them will happily coexist with another hedgehog. Others will always fight with another hedgehog that comes near them. Right. So. See, it's like people, honestly, every animal, there's always personalities there. Yeah, you can't paint them all with the one brush. <laughs> um, and what's their lifespan? How long do they usually live for? Um, they can live up to, like, in, if they have ideal circumstances, they can live up to well over, like, eight years old, nine, even... 10 years old they have been recorded but um generally in the wild their sort of survivorship drops after three years you know you don't see a lot of hedgehogs over three years old you do find hedgehogs that that are significantly older you know but mostly um kind of two or three years or maybe in the wild yeah right and who would you mentioned badger badgers would anything else prey on them would would foxes or or i guess dogs be an issue for hedgehogs a little bit mostly bad like a healthy adult full-grown hedgehog you know they have a very good defense mechanism they can roll into a ball that the prickles are really sharp they're really something to deal with so most animals would not have the um the, the strength or the capacity really to, to open up a hedgehog. A badger can't because they're very strong and have long claws. So they can flip a hedgehog over and open it up and eat the soft parts. You know, it's, oh. they, yeah, they literally peel it like an orange. They just take off all oh the spikes. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> like, but you will find sometimes you might find just like the literally the shell of a hedgehog, just the spines left behind. It is a badger oh, that's got wow. it then. That was a badger. Wow. But um, with, you do find they do sometimes get picked up by dogs yeah and they will maybe suffer from some bite wounds or sometimes yeah they might like a fox might take one particularly if it's a young animal or a sick animal or something a fox would have a better chance with it but not with a healthy animal one just from anecdotally i think from chatting to a couple of rescues they were saying that there's they see a lot of hedgehogs maybe that might have a an injured foot or a missing foot and they reckon that that's caused by maybe foxes not having you know having a goal but not successfully being able to capture them or, or overcome them yeah. yeah that's so sad poor little guys um and i know we're going to get into surveying them as well because obviously that's what you want to happen so how wh- why first of all do you think it's important to for people to kind of get involved and help surveying the hedgehogs okay uh right well first of all because i am the laziest surveyor known to mankind <laughs> I want everybody else to do the hard work for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, well, no. Um, the, I suppose the main thing is, is because, you know, they're not easy animals to survey. Do you know what I mean? They're yeah. they're nocturnal, so they're only out at, at night time. They occur in quite low densities. You know, you could be traipsing around the countryside for the whole summer and never see one. You know, um, they're, they're kind of a little bit... Uh, tricky to to survey for them and if i if you want to do a big survey which will kind of you know i suppose tell you where they're living and and what kind of numbers they're they're living there you know you need to cover a lot of ground and have a lot of survey nights there so what has traditionally been used in other countries for surveying hedgehogs um particularly citizen science so people reporting hedgehog locations and then uh, recently they did a, a national survey in England of hedgehogs and they used, they developed a methodology using footprint tunnels. So what this is, is like a cardboard little tunnel and it's got a sheet of paper inside on the ground at each end and a little bowl of dog food or cat food in the middle and two little ink pads. So when the hedgehogs walk in to get to the food, they get ink on their paws and when they're walking out, they leave paw prints on the um on the paper so this is a good way of um of testing whether they're there or not now it's used for other animals as well but um it seems to be that you know rather than kind of spending your time going out actively looking for hedgehogs maybe put these things down and let the hedgehogs come to you if they're there in the area yeah. so 
this methodology has been tried in the UK and I think it would be worth giving it a shot here. But like that now, the tunnels have to be left out for five nights in a row and checked every morning. And they have to be, you know, they have to be within a like a 500 by 500 meter area. So it's, you know, there is a bit of groundwork there as well. So it's the kind of survey that lends itself very well to volunteers can do it. You don't have to have any specialist expertise. You just have to be, have to have a bit of energy and enthusiasm in it and anybody can do it. Uh, and if you have volunteers, you can cover a lot more sites that would be able to do that. So I think I would really like to try that sort of technique. And, uh, you know, we'd be able to kind of pick different kind of habitats then that we're interested in, say, intensively managed farmland versus extensively managed farmland. So it's presence absence data. It'll tell us if they're there or not. It has a pretty reasonable degree of, of certainty. And are people able to make their own Oh, one of those? You can make your own or um, what I would be hoping is that I uh, will be able to buy the materials or the, the tunnels and that I will be able to loan them to people and that I'll have, you know, a few people in, in each county and they'll be able to, to share the tunnels. Because as I said, you need 10 footprint tunnels that need to be out for five nights. Did I say that? You need 10 tunnels out for five <laughs> nights in that area. Now we know. <laughs> so... Um, a few county councils, I, I the heritage officers in, in a few county councils, I, I emailed them and I said, you know, is this something you'd be willing to get involved in and supporting in? So, um, yeah, a few county councils have come on board and they have uh, given me some funding, which I will use for buying footprint tunnels and stuff to do uh, to do the survey in those counties and to deliver some training workshops and stuff. The other thing I'm using is I have got some old election posters so i will be upcycling those into footprint tunnels as well excellent so i'll be it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see you know how many volunteers i get because you know it's you know it is a bit of an ask now to people to go traipsing yeah. around in the place to do it but i i would hope that i will get a good few volunteers that would be willing to do one or two sites or you know it's something as well that could be done by a group of people do you know if you had a residence association they could put them out in an area or if you had a tidy downs group or a local naturalist club or something like that so yeah so I'm hoping that people will be interested and willing to get be get involved in that and I think yeah. um I think they will no I'd say so people especially now that we're spending so much time in nature and at home and not having to commute like people are kind of finding more activities to do uh, in, in lockdown as yes as well. I think so and I did last year um because I wasn't able to do the this the kind of countrywide survey last year I did set up the Irish Hedgehog Survey and we set up a page with the National Biodiversity Data Centre for people just to record their sightings of hedgehogs. And we had massive, we had about 2,000 records for for the year, which oh, is brilliant. a lot. I think it was the second most recorded species for the year. And we only started in June, you know, so like the stuff people sent in was fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone send in like recordings of rats or something with or like anything that weren't? I had a picture of a dormouse, which was fabulous. Uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I saw a hedgehog and it's a dormouse. Oh, I love it. I think I think um people just love to share their nature, but it was it was an unusual sort of a year as well because you know there was say two thousand sightings. And I think about three hundred or three hundred and twenty maybe of that of those people. They had hedgehogs either regularly come into the garden or, um, you know, they repeated visitors or even living in the garden that they knew they nested there. So that was that was interesting. So I, I kind of took advantage of that and I emailed all those people and I said, look, at, would you mind filling out this extra little questionnaire telling us about what you've got in your garden? You know, do you have bushes? Do you have bird feeders? Do you have a shed or a compost heap? And so I've I've got that data now at the moment I'm going working through <laughs> Um, I'm working through that now at the moment so but out of the say the, the the 300 people I emailed 250 responded which is massive like that's massive yeah. yeah so people just love their hedgehogs and they love to share their news and their stories and I've just had the greatest crack with videos and stuff people have sent me it's just people are just oh god I want to be sent videos of hedgehogs all the time. And the other thing that was really unusual about the results this year is that in a normal year, you know, the record, the sightings that would go into the National Biodiversity Data Centre, about 60% of those would be roadkill. And from my latest estimations for last year, about 70% of the sightings I got were live animals. 
So that's, it's really going to mess up with my sort of data analysis, I think. <laughs> but I thought it was really interesting from, I suppose, the point of view. So I don't know, I, I, I'll have to, I think, carry on with the survey for another couple of years post-COVID and see, yeah. you know, is this a phenomenon that it's, you know, because I specially asked people to watch out for hedgehogs, so they told me about them. Is it that people were at home more? Was the number of roadkill really down? Or is it just that people weren't driving, so they weren't seeing them dead on the road? So, it, yeah, there's, there's going to be some interesting kind of questions, all right, to come out with that. I don't know if I'll be able to answer them, but we'll, we'll have a go anyway. But, but it was, I thought it was very nice that there was, you know, yeah. such a turnaround in, in the number of live animals compared to dead animals for a change. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. And come here, so the the people can get in touch if, if you know, they know of a spot or have some land that they can put one of those tunnels in, maybe that you have funding for, which is brilliant. Um, For people, I don't know, like me who live in Dublin in like a housing estate or, you know, urban areas, can we also partake? Are you still looking for people to send in? Oh, I just saw a survey on, on your website. Or just saw a survey. I just saw a hedgehog. It's just so, absolutely. So we're looking for casual records all the time. At any time, if you see a hedgehog alive or dead, you know, by all means, put, we'd be delighted to have the record, you know, sent into the to the Biodiversity Data Centre. And what we did ask people last year to do as well was, if you could, because I couldn't get out to meet people or give people footprint tunnels last year. So I was kind of saying, well, look, could you make one yourselves at home? It's very easy to make a footprint tunnel and uh, and put them out in your garden. Or if you have a trail camera or something, Put it out in your garden. So a lot of people did that. You know, we got lovely results. I suppose one of the things is, I suppose a lot of people were doing it that knew they had hedgehogs in their garden. And what I really want is people put it out into a site they don't know if they have hedgehogs or not. So because it's as important to yeah. know where they don't yeah. live as where they do. But it was it was lovely that because I can also like get great information about the kind of gardens that hedgehogs visit and the sites where they go to. I also had one for farmers. I asked farmers to tell me about the kind of farming and, and their landscape that they have and whether hedgehogs, whether they've seen hedgehogs or not, or have, whether they are in the past or they're gone now. So I suppose a lot of the, the information I've gotten so far has been from kind of questionnaires and from people volunteering information on the hedgehogs. <clears throat> and hopefully now over the next couple of years, we'll be able to kind of investigate that more by doing you know, physical service. So we'll have the, the footprint tunnel survey going for the next couple of years. But absolutely, we, uh, Dublin City Council, I'm working with them and we are going to look at some very urban sites and hopefully do the survey there. I think what we, uh, we'll we have to do is we'll probably go into estates and maybe ask people to put them, can we put them in your garden? Or, you know, will you, would you let us put a footprint on your garden or around green areas and parks and golf courses where absolutely we'll be, we'll be looking at urban areas and at... Uh, rural sites as well brilliant and as you mentioned there yeah you're looking for farmers to input as well and i know you've got really good links on your website so i'll link all of that in the description of the podcast people can get all of that so the purpose of doing a survey in my head is like you know obviously knowledge is is power and the more we know about them um in my view you can we can also help them more i imagine that you know you mentioned roadkill there is one of the issues behind um hedgehog deaths i imagine climate change and the warming weather weather might be having an impact because they they hibernate don't they do hibernate yeah exactly like we can't even begin to kind of quantify or or see what kind of effects anything has on the model we kind of have some baseline information about what kind of numbers of hedgehogs we have and and where they're they're occurring you know until until we we have that it's it's kind of hard to say if, if our numbers are going up or down. And I suppose that's the kind of one of the main reasons behind doing the survey is to hopefully get a better sort of idea of, of where our hedgehogs are living and what kind of numbers they are, what kind of habitats they prefer, you know, uh, what are the effects of particularly, I suppose, the changing use of the landscape would probably be the most influential factor. Uh, certainly um, the information coming from England and the continent Scandinavia surveys there, it would indicate that intensification of agriculture is probably one of the, the main impacts of them. I mean, they like to live in kind of edge habitats. So they like to live around hedgerows, the edge of woodlands. They like a mixture of kind of long grass and soft grass, plenty of bushes and uh, 
lots of different, they eat invertebrates, lots of different invertebrates. So if you've got a great diversity of plants and, and kind of structure of plants and plant species, you'll have more diversity of insects and, and other invertebrates. So when farming is very much intensified, then you tend to have kind of monocultures, you know, of crops or of um, grass that's grown for silage and stuff. Yeah. So you don't have the same kind of diversity as you might have with the hay meadow, with the with the ditch and with the with the hedge and a stony wall and a few trees and you know this that and the other. So um, the loss, particularly of things like kind of hedgerows and marginal habitats, is probably the, one of the biggest factors in the loss of of hedgehogs. So the the rate of decline in the countryside is greater than the decline in kind of sort of villages and suburban areas and um, they're not the numbers aren't declining as quickly there because like that um i suppose there are resources in in gardens and you know parks and places like that so they they are uh, finding a bit of refuge there so um that would be the kind of the the main thing that that will be influencing them so habitat loss and fragmentation yeah would be the, the main so- issues what can I guess farmers and also people or anyone with land listening to this do? I guess if you've got hedgerows, keep them. Like they're not even just for for hedgehogs, but for birds are so important as well. Is there anything else that like we can do to help, as well as like the survey, but to help kind of preserve the population that we have? Um, I think yeah, any anything that will that will create or or kind of maintain suitable habitat so you know leaving areas a little bit wild you know leaving the edges of fields and leaving little pockets of woodland and, and hedges um and anything that will encourage kind of insects and stuff that you know that's that is great for um is great for hedgehogs so and avoiding things like pesticides and, and stuff like that is is very important yeah, there there is room, I think, for the two to coexist. Apparently, they they like to feed in in you know arable crops in the autumn time. That's what one of the things that came out of the the previous uh, PhD on on hedgehogs that wasn't seen before. They can coexist, I think, but it does it does mean a bit of kind of careful consideration on our part, and also I suppose connectivity in the landscape is really really important for all, not just for hedgehogs, but for birds and bats and and badgers and all sorts of animals. You know, they need these little corridors to get around because uh, little isolated patches of habitat on their own are no good. They need to be able to move around, I suppose, to, to meet and to breed. And, you know, if, you know, something happens in one habitat and the hedgehogs are wiped out or the bats are wiped out in one particular spot. There's not a pathway for them to get somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. So bats or squirrels or whatever it is won't be able to move into an area if there isn't some sort of connection for them to be able to, to move around. So, so hedges and, and you know riverbanks, all these sort of habitats act as um, as kind of corridors to allow our wildlife go around the countryside. Yeah, I also I had Mary Reynolds on the podcast before who suggested that um, for people with walled gardens, if possible, and to consult a builder beforehand, but to take like a small book size hole and put like a hole in the bottom of the wall if you can to help animals pass through yes um, a hedgehog highway <laughs> that's what they yeah imagine if they just go through all of the gardens and you mentioned something about bread and milk earlier so if you have if you do have hedgehogs in your garden or you do see them or you think there's a there's a hungry hedgehog you're worried about what can you do to help them absolutely so if you have hedgehogs coming in your garden and if you want to you can certainly put out food for them not bread and milk because <laughs> uh they're lactose intolerant and they'll get the rodents so uh yeah so they and they'll leave a really and they will leave a right smelly mess for you to clean up no they they uh they would eat uh, cat food or dog food so it can be just the wet stuff from a can or a pouch or um, the dry biscuits, if you're like me and you don't want to be touched in the white cat food. But they like the little dry cat biscuits. And you can, if you can get the small ones, like the kitten size, the kitten food, the dry kitten food, that's uh, better because sometimes um, like little nuggets or something or peanuts or another thing gets stuck in the roof of their mouths and then they can't eat. So uh, small bite-sized little little uh, dry food is good for them. Yeah, that's that's perfectly adequate for them. And they'll soon learn 
where there's food being put out and where there isn't and they'll often appear even at the same time every night if you if you are putting out food for them um and a dish of water as well is very important simpler this that they can get a get a drink is important yeah. for them as well some people want to put out huts or little living places for them but i i saw some like controversy on facebook groups about those um about them getting stuck in those do you know anything about those yeah there was there was a lot of kind of look at <laughs> i don't know i was kind of reading a little bit at that time there was a lot of speculation about that uh, hedgehogs could get injured from a certain kind of type those sort of woven igloo shaped little uh little hedgehog houses so the you know but i didn't see any cases of a where a hedgehog had been injured or trapped in one of these things. Yeah. So I, you know, I wouldn't feel qualified yeah. to really say whether they were or not, but um, it's probably if, you know, if there is a doubt that that certain ones can cause harm, it's probably best to avoid them. You can get like, there's instructions, loads of instructions online on how to make a, a hedgehog house, or you can, um, you can actually buy little wooden ones. Um, and it's probably best to maybe go with something like that. Um, as long as it's got like a little a little house area and some sort of a little tunnel or something into it uh, that'll keep out cats or, or other animals that might go into it so um just that something like that make little little nest boxes little houses put it in a quiet undisturbed part of the garden and and leave it there yeah. cool yeah make sure they've got a little place to wipe their feet of all the ink that they have exactly but if you have a pile of logs or branches or something like that down at the back of the garden that's better it's you know like yeah. it's it's as good yeah, as or better they, that's what they'd use like yeah probably. yeah they would use that or if you if you sweep up the leaves in in your garden or something and make a big fat pile of leaves and just leave it undisturbed, then that's a great spot for hedgehogs as well to to hibernate and stuff. And yeah, it does so much for insects as well. Um, remember chant Collianus about that. Um, you mentioned there is a hedgehog rescue that you worked with. What what did it, what does one do? I know you might not be like qualified, but just general advice for people if they find maybe an injured hedgehog in in town. I would know what to do. I'd be bringing the DSPCA, bringing them to the vet. Um, That's kind of it. No, and when I say I've helped out, normally I ferry. Like, I will pick up an injured animal and I'll deliver it and I'll hang around for tea then or (laughs) stuff. Um, I might do a little bit of helping out. But there are some fantastic people around the country with with great expertise. I'm on the West Coast here, so I um, do a little bit of fetching and dropping for the hogs prickle. That's Bev Truss in Clare. But... The Kildare, Kildare Animal Foundation Wildlife Unit, they do fabulous work. And Yvonne in, in Dublin, Hedgehog Rescue, Cork Animal Welfare. Like there's loads of groups that do and, and the local branches of the, the ISPCA. So if you if you find a sick or an injured hedgehog, I suppose, keep an eye on it first and just make sure. Like if, it, if it's obviously visibly injured, then OK, it needs some some help. If you see a hedgehog that's out during the day, uh, quite often that's not a good sign because they are strictly nocturnal. Um, if the animal is moving around and it looks very busy and it's carrying leaves and twigs and stuff, it's probably a nesting female. So they will sometimes come out during the day when they're busy gathering stuff to make their nests. But if it's slow or wobbling or standing still or lying down and it's out during the day, then it probably needs some help. So what I would do is I would pick it up and I'd put it in a box somewhere warm and dry and maybe give it a little bit of water, maybe a little bit of of cat food or something like that. If it doesn't perk up, then I would certainly be, I would ring either your local ISPCA or go on to irishwildlifematters.ie that's uh, the website for wildlife rehabilitation ireland so they have um they have a list there of contacts who to contact that will be in your local area but if you ring any of the the major rescues they will ask you questions and they'll be able to tell you a lot over the phone whether it needs to see a vet or you know who your nearest uh, rescue center is that um and they will quite often they would have a network of volunteers that would go out and pick it up or would meet you and, and take it from you so i would ring i would ring a rescue and uh even you might even give your your vet a call if needs be but i would ring a rescue and they've opened up now a national wildlife hospital have you heard about this yeah no. i can see your next podcast lining up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where tell me who tell me when oh my god so uh it's being managed I think it's in County Meath and it's been managed by Dan who ran the the 
wildlife unit in Kildare for years and kind of set it up as far as I know. And like he's so he's taken over running this. They've got kind of temporary premises, I think, I believe, at the moment. And they're they're fundraising for a more permanent, proper wildlife hospital and, and teaching centre. So they do have a number and I don't have it on me. But maybe we, we can find that and edit it in yeah, at the end. Do yeah. yeah. So they they would be um they do have a mobile number now as far as I know that you can ring for advice and uh, they're trying to maybe centralize things I suppose a little bit so yeah excellent no that's that's really really good to know um and yeah there's so many good tips there for helping hedgehogs so thank you so much for that are hedgehog pets much of a thing. Yeah, I I imagine people. I would hope people don't take hedgehogs from the wild and try to keep them as pets. I know that does ha- well. Okay, right. Your facial expressions telling me otherwise. I don't know. I'd say no, because sometimes people do, and and they're like, you know, what well, I found a hedgehog, and oh no, well I want to keep them. So I suppose first of all, you know, they're wild animals. So if you want to keep a wild animal in captivity, you need a license from the National Parks and Wildlife Service. So I would always say to people. You know, maybe not. And I think there was probably a lot of lockdown projects as well all over the country where people took in injured animals and held on to them. But you can, the the species of of hedgehogs that people keep as pets in Ireland are not the same species as the the wild hedgehogs that we have. They're, um, yeah, I think they're kind of um, a cross between maybe two species of African pygmy small hedgehogs. And they're awful cute, all right. I can see the attraction. I think there has been an increase recently. I think it's bigger maybe in American places, all right, to, to keep pet hedgehogs. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. They're they're prickly and they're nocturnal. And, they, you know, they, I wouldn't be wild keen on one as a pet now yeah. <laughs> myself. But they, they are awful cute. That's the other thing. I know, yeah. I just want to, I guess when you're an animal lover you're torn between wanting to keep them around you all the time but also what's best for the animal i'm reading a book at the moment by hugh warwick who is like a hedgehog guru in in, from england you know and he's uh he's a hedgehog expert and an activist you know but i'm reading a book that he wrote called prickly affair and the next chapter is like that it's called something like a brief interlude at the international hedgehog olympics and it's like a these real in america these real hedgehog enthusiasts pet hedgehog enthusiasts and one of their meetings where they meet up with hedgehogs and do games or something with them i'm not sure i haven't i'm just about to start that chapter (laughs) there's a prickly affair is such a good name hedgehogs are like the perfect animals to make puns from as well like it's never ending (laughs) (laughs) i think we've covered everything regarding hedgehogs there i know there'll probably be other questions that i'll think of when i'm going to bed tonight being like i didn't ask them what their favorite color is but before we go elaine i know we don't have time to to do a whole lot but i've picked three random questions to ask you so first one i have what is the most beautiful site or place that you've ever seen okay i'm useless at these kind of questions because there are just so That's many okay. beautiful places <laughs> what my favorite things are or something um i was trying to think i suppose i've been lucky to do to do a little bit of traveling um we went once to this place called Ilha Granja, a little island in brazil and it was it was like heaven it was fabulous you know beautiful beaches and flowers and hummingbirds and stuff like that and that was amazing but I think there's so many beautiful places you know around Ireland you know there's parts of you know Cork and Kerry are, are fabulous you know and Connemara and the mountains are you know amazing and I live um I live just on the edge of the Burren and I always think that's just such a special place when we were in, when I was in college doing my master's, we spent four months in the Burren and I used to think it was such a strange and, and wonderful place. And, and I always wondered, you know, if people live in the Burren, do they look out the window every morning and go, jeepers, I'm in the Burren, you know? And now that I live there, you do get used to it a little bit, but every so often you look out the window and go, oh my God, <laughs> I'm in the Burren. I'm on the moon yeah. sometimes you think. But so I, I love, I, I love that kind of, weird and wonderful landscape yeah no that's yeah that's a great answer and i'm to my shame have not actually seen the burn yet have you not no so i definitely need to fix that do do absolutely um the next question if you could live as an animal what would it be um i think it would be would have to be something that lived 
far away, you know, like in a woods or in some real proper wilderness now, you know, <laughs> none right. of these like birds in a garden or something, uh, you know, like a bear or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something that doesn't mingle with humans, basically. <laughs> saying, Elaine. <laughs> like, like, I suppose that that's probably what I can really admire the hedgehog that way, you know, just all like being able to fall yeah. into a ball and ignore, ignore everybody. But uh, yeah, I, I would like that idea. It'd be nice to be able to fly as well. So maybe something like an eagle or something out in like, some great wilderness. Yeah. That'd be class. I'd love to be able to fly as well. And I know you're mentioning that book there and you can say that one as well or another one, but can you give us a book recommendation? Recommendation? Anything at all. The most, the book I read last week was a book by Neil Gaiman, uh, but this one was called The Ocean at the End of the Lane. And I I really enjoy that. It was really nice and (laughs) yeah, a little bit fantastic. You know, I like that sort of stuff. (laughs) Lovely. Well, it's nice to to get some um, fantasy recommendations. I'm reading a fantasy book now as well, and I just I love it. It's just giving my brain a break because I I like hunger for knowledge all the time, and I just want to learn. But sometimes you have to switch off and just like be entertained as well. A bit of magic and escapism. I always love that sort of stuff. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Um, Well, Elaine, thank you so so much for being here today and teaching us uh, all you need to know. And I feel like. I feel like there's going to be so many people uh, sending you hopefully more hedgehog sightings and I'll link your website and all the information how people can do that and yeah best of luck with your with your PhD okay well thanks a million that was lovely to talk to you (laughs) all right that was Elaine and I hope you guys found that enjoyable or you learned something if there's any questions that you do have do please send them in to me and I can ask uh, ask Lorraine, ask Elaine and I can share them on social media and put them up on the website. Do check out the website. It'll be a little bit slow being updated because I'm only updating it the day this is being recorded and released, which is Monday, the blah blah of May the 17th. Oh my God, there we are already. So yeah, um, as I said, please partake in the survey make your own tunnel or get in touch with the lane if you if you have land especially if you if you know you or you don't know if you have hedgehogs living in your garden um and yeah be careful what you leave out for them any kind of food and whatnot and uh, yeah I'm going to add a prickly affair to my book wish list <laughs> so in two weeks time I'll be back on Monday with Owen McGuinness the creator of Crown which is an eco-friendly sunglass and watch shop an Irish business and I can't believe that the stuff that he he basically sources waste and makes accessories out of this waste and yeah everything he sells is like a life time guarantee so we get to hear a little bit about his story and that business that's in two weeks time stay tuned for that please don't forget to follow on instagram twitter facebook and um, book of leaves you'll find me there and if you can please support this on patreon or buymeacoffee.com that would be amazing forward slash book of leaves i think that is it i think that is it yeah just mind your garden for little any little hedgehogs and send in any pictures oh my god please send in pictures if uh if you do have any of uh hedgehogs in your garden or in the wild that you've seen i would absolutely love to see them so that is it have a wonderful week a wonderful two weeks mind yourselves and keep standing up for others for other people and other non-human people on the planet otherwise known as animals um yeah All right, I'll talk to you in two weeks' time. (laughs) Bye.